Colorado's statewide primary ballot is now set after the parties met for their assemblies to select candidates. On the Democratic side, all the incumbents are running uncontested. But for Republicans, things are a bit more lively. We sit today in a room full of Republicans, a room full of friends, and a room full of warriors. Close to 4,000 Republican delegates gathered in Colorado Springs to winnow down the GOP field for U.S. Senate, Attorney General, Secretary of State, and Governor. We will abolish critical race theory and the sexualization of our kids from public schools. They were there to choose candidates, but in talking to delegates, it also felt like a culture war revival where you could hear some of the most common fears and frustrations and even conspiracy theories that are circulating on the right. Our schools, what we're teaching the kids, the kids are our future. They want to kill the ones that, that aren't even born. They want to take the guys that are currently born and, and convert them to something that they're not supposed to be. They want to tell an eight-year-old that, well, if you feel like being somebody of the other gender, that's okay. They're, the kids aren't even old enough to understand that. I'm appalled. I'm appalled. And many in the crowd also have a deeply held belief that the 2020 election was stolen from former President Donald Trump. And they have a desire to see Republican candidates do something about that. I want to hear what they have to say, if they will come out and speak about election integrity. That's a huge one that a lot of a lot of the candidates seem to be avoiding that subject. And I want to know, do they or do they not feel that the election was stolen in 2020? The concerns of these grassroots Republican activists are shaping the field of candidates who may eventually win office in Colorado and shifting the identity of the party itself. Every election is a chance to see how politics in Colorado are changing. And this assembly this past weekend and the upcoming primaries, they're going to show that nobody quite knows what changes are still going to come. This is Purplish, a podcast about Colorado politics and policy. I'm Andrew Kenny. And I'm Benta Berkland. Today, we're going to raise the curtain on the 2022 election, and particularly on the June 28th primary. Who's on the ballot? What forces got them there? And what's at stake for Colorado? And to be really clear, we're focused in this episode on just a few races. There's the U.S. Senate primary, where Republicans will choose who goes up against incumbent Democrat Michael Bennett, and also the contests for two statewide offices in particular, governor and secretary of state. But first, let's just start with how this whole process of getting on the primary ballot works. Yeah, how does it work? There are two routes. A candidate can get onto the ballot either by going and gathering petition signatures from voters and you get enough and you qualify and you get on the ballot. Don't have to go to the assembly necessarily. Or candidates can be nominated basically by the grassroots of the party by showing up at this assembly and convincing enough delegates to vote for them on the floor. It's very dramatic. Those are the options. Yeah. And the assembly process actually begins with these precinct caucuses, which are very small kind of voting blocks in your, the your neighborhood. Yeah. And that's where people who are really involved with the party typically get selected mm -hmm. as delegates. And then they, they move up through a series of meetings and finally end up at the state assembly where they do get to vote on the candidates they want to see on the ballot. Like I was saying earlier, it takes support from at least 
30% of the delegates who are voting to get onto the ballot at that assembly it can be pretty tough to do depending on how many people are competing with you to get onto the ballot. In some of these races, there are quite a few candidates. And for both Republicans and Democrats, the delegates of these assemblies come from the more ideological extremes of yeah. the party. So what we saw this year on the Republican side, a lot of the more moderate candidates gathered signatures and petitioned on. So they did not go through the assembly. Yeah, because they didn't want to basically face the farther right part of the party and get shut down at the, at the assembly necessarily. So we're going to zoom in especially on that Republican assembly because they're really the party with the most contested races and because we heard a lot of interesting things while we covered it that really speak to some of the choices that Colorado voters are going to be making this year. So funny you should say Zoom in because oh, no. uh, because Democrats held their state assembly remotely oh, no. <laughs> on Zoom. Uh, it, it didn't bring many surprises. So let's just go over it quickly before we get back to the Republicans. Sure. Democrats right now hold every major elected office in Colorado, and they just chose to unsurprisingly put all of the incumbents back on the ballot unopposed. So we have U.S. Senator Michael Bennett, Governor Jared Polis, Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, Attorney General Phil Weiser, and Treasurer Dave Young. I told you there was a lot of these guys. <laughs> All of them are seeking re-election. None of them have any primary challenger. Now it's official. So the assembly went pretty quickly, um, just a couple hours. And Andy, what do you think of Democrats you know, doing this remotely? Their decision to be virtual this year, even though we're not at the height of the pandemic. Well, I think it might have been more of a topic of debate if there were more contested races. I think that if you are trying to challenge an incumbent and get on the ballot, that's going to be a lot harder to do in a virtual environment where you can't mm -hmm. go recruit support. You can't go roam around the floor and, you know, you can't do a lot of in-person politicking. But obviously right. it went very smoothly this time because they honestly have a lot of <laughs> controversial business to settle. Yeah, that's true. It was quiet. We didn't cover it. We were at the GOP assembly, which was that same day. I talked to a few Democratic lawmakers who didn't attend either. Uh, Democratic Representative Daphna michelson Janay decided to go to a conference in Washington, D.C. instead. She said had it been in person, yes, she would have been there. I think the fact that it was done remotely could be to our detriment, just from the fact that People are so tired of Zoom. And I understand, um, you know, our cases are rising and we're still trying to figure out that how do we live with COVID thing. So I don't blame the party. I just, you know, if I had my druthers, it would have been in person. Again, to her point, these events can really energize grassroots volunteers and activists. It's a way to get in the same room, form alliances, etc., and it's just hard to imagine, yeah, so I'm getting a Zoom private DM invite and being like, yes, this is the beginning of a new political movement. So there's a lost opportunity there, I think. But on the flip side, having this virtual quiet assembly means there, there was more attention on Republicans. And for a lot of Democrats who believe the right flank of that party is vastly out of, of the touch. the Republican Party. Yeah, vastly out of touch with Colorado voters, too extreme. They've already been campaigning on that. Maybe that's to their benefit. I, I talked to Democrats, plenty of them. They were just sitting back and watching what was happening with Republicans, and I think they were more than happy to do that. 
Shifting to the Republican State Assembly, where the real drama happened this year. No lie. It set up primaries in some key races. And this will give voters a clear choice between a more establishment Republican and someone much farther to the right. Quick note, Republicans can participate in the GOP primary and unaffiliated voters can choose to participate in that primary as well. So let's start with one of the big races we are watching, U.S. Senate. That's one where the day began and there was pretty big field. Like there was already one candidate, Joe O'Day, who had petitioned onto the ballot gone the other route and secured his spot. My campaign's directed at Michael Bennett and replacing him in November. And I'm going to stay on my campaign. It's Joe Day. I'm about working Americans. I'm about supporting our police, supporting our military, and cutting back big government. And that's where I am. He's more of a moderate business world type of candidate. And then at the assembly, you had a whole bunch of people all trying to win that support, all in this kind of do or die moment where they had to get at least 30% of the delegates support to get on the ballot. And we found out the results. Yep, in the end, only one person made it on the ballot at the assembly, State Representative Ron Hanks. Yeah, it was a bloodbath for the other candidates. It's one of those places where you can really see that the choices at the assembly are really driven by the right wing of the party. Because Hanks is really far right and notorious among some for his stances, especially on election stuff. Right, yeah. Hanks is in his first term at the State House, and he has made false claims about Dominion Voting Machines, and that's a Denver-based company. He has made these claims the centerpiece of his campaign for U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, and just quickly, for people who may not be familiar with it, Dominion is at the center of false theories that this voting machine company rigged the election for Biden. I fully expected Donald Trump to win in 2020. And he did. I, thank you. I expected him to be draining the swamp in D.C. while we fought to turn this state back toward liberty. When we saw what we saw on election night 2020, it changed everything, just like the changes we felt after 9-11. My mission as a state representative shifted to election integrity. I have been fighting for it ever since, even before I was sworn in. Another detail about Hanks, he actually attended protests in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. This was before he was sworn in as a representative. He has said he did not enter the U.S. Capitol building. And so Hanks at the assembly really just crushed his opponents and showed the power of that message, the election message. One example of one of his opponents is Gino Campana, wealthy Fort Collins developer, former councilman, had raised close to a million dollars as of last filing. He's literally 30 times more money than Hanks had reported. Wow. He just blanketed the hall with posters and campaign staff and played a flashy video and, and had like music. And just, he looked like a national campaign almost as he took the stage. I love America. <laughs> President Trump. Put his trust in me, and I'm asking you now to put your trust in me. Give me your support. Give me your vote. And together, we will beat Michael Bennett. Well, we know how this story ends. He did not get on the ballot, mm-hmm. despite all that money, just despite uh, you know, everything he'd done. What was interesting was I was watching that speech. You heard like the cheers and the applause, but I was standing with the GOP operative who said, look at the rest of the crowd beyond his campaign supporters in the front row. 
and the assembly hall was dead quiet for most of Gino's speech. That's true. I was I was back there, farther mm-hmm. back from the stage, and no one around me was reacting at all to his speech. You could sense that he was in trouble, and you could also hear that he thought he was in trouble because he'd run this very business-oriented campaign, but on Saturday, as his daughter introduced him, she was suddenly talking about rigged elections, and he was talking about gender stuff. And, you know, it seemed like an attempt to pivot, but when the results came out, he had only gotten 11% of the vote. And in contrast, there was a lot of energy for Hanks. Just when he'd be walking around the floor, you'd hear these bursts of applause. And I was sitting farther back and and people were standing, clapping, you know, giving him a standing ovation at times. He almost mocked the other candidates for, in his mind, coming so late to this election fraud message. I was the first to sign on to a lawsuit against our corrupt secretary of state. I have... I have been fighting this issue since day one, not the last few weeks when some candidates for Senate heard the thunderous crowds and decided it was a winning issue. And by the way, all of his supporters or many of his supporters were wearing yellow safety vests, which I don't know if it was intentional, but harkens back to the populist French politics movement. Anyway, Democrats have been, like we said, watching all this with maybe some glee. For months, they've been describing Hanks as the, quote, front runner, which has gotten some pushback from some GOP operatives, but kind of turned out to be at least somewhat correct on uh, this past Saturday. And quickly want to mention, like you mentioned, there is another candidate in this primary race for U.S. Senate, and that's Joe O'Day. Yep. So O'Day petitioned on. He went the other route, didn't show up at the assembly, didn't show, didn't see him there. And he's running very much on the economy and on business, much more kind of old school, modern Republican He's the candidate that Democrats are more afraid of since, A, he's rich. He's got a lot of his own money to put into the race. He's uh, raised more than a million dollars as of last filings. And B, he's probably got more appeal to unaffiliated voters in the general election. That's absolutely right. For any Republican to win in this November election, they will have to appeal to more moderate voters and unaffiliated voters, even if there is a red wave. Now, Democratic Senator Michael Bennett, he's not seen as the most vulnerable senator, Mm -hmm. but he is starting to show up on lists of seats that could flip from blue to red. We'll see over the next two months, Hanks and O'Day will duke it out. They'll race to this June 28th primary to see who will be the party's standard bearer, who gets to go up and try their luck against Michael Bennett in November. Moving down the ballot, the next big race is the governor's race. And that's another place where what was this big, huge field going into the assembly has now turned down to just two Republicans who are hoping to challenge Jared Polis. We have CU Regent Heidi Ganahl and former Parker Mayor Greg Lopez. Both survived the assembly with a little bit over 30 percent. Lopez scored more delegates at the assembly, so he was a little bit more popular with the grassroots there. Ganahl is seen as the establishment candidate. She is the only Republican to win a statewide election in almost eight years. Yeah, that's actually a point that she made in her speech. It's lonely. I need help. (laughs) I stand before you today as someone who, and let me be blunt, gets bleep done. I stand before you today as a mom on a mission who won't back down. 
and I stand before you today battle-tested and ready to send Polis and his I know better than you attitude back to his safe space in Boulder. Who's with me? She kind of avoided a lot of the more inflammatory cultural issues that other candidates hit on. And instead, she talked about really herself as a woman who survived a lot of adversity, the death of her first husband, removal of a benign tumor recently, and saying that she has what it takes to go up against an incumbent with a huge personal fortune like Jared Bullis. Lopez took quite a different approach. Yes, he talked about the economy and inflation and, and all of that, but he also got into parents' rights in schools and talked about gender issues, voter fraud. We the people want fair elections. It is time we clean out our voter rolls and stop the ballot harvesting. It is time we go back to counting all ballots by hand and get rid of the Dominion machines. That's going to be another one that's similar to the matchup in the Senate primary where a much more establishment candidate, Heidi Gnall, who talks about, you know, cutting taxes versus a farther right candidate who's way more willing to embrace all this stuff about sexualization of children and fears of transgender people and what they're doing to society. And uh, we're going to see just how far right the GOP electorate wants to go. This all kind of brings us to one race that's usually a bit lower profile, but it's already getting a lot of attention this year. Secretary of State. That's because Tina Peters, who maybe you listened to our last episode, it was about her. But in short, she is the Mesa County clerk, and she's been indicted on multiple charges related to a breach of security that she caused at her own office, which she said she was doing in order to uncover evidence of widespread voter fraud, which, of course, has not been presented, has not been proven. And she won more votes than any other person in a contested race at this assembly. So she got 60 yeah. percent of the votes from delegates. And, mm. you know, it was a little bit like you know, she was the celebrity of the day. Benta, it was the first time I think I've ever heard an assembly hall full of people chanting the name Tina before. But in spite of that overwhelming support, there actually was another candidate, Mike O'Donnell. He's an Australian immigrant with a business background. He's also pushing conspiracy theories, and he made the ballot alongside Tina. And meanwhile, there's a third candidate from the other route, the petition route. That's Pam Anderson, a former clerk who defends the election system, who says that we have a good election system. I think one question going into all of this about Peters was how much support does she really have? Mm -hmm. And this proves that her actions so far and her message is really capturing a certain part of the electorate and goes pretty deep into the grassroots conservative base. Yeah. It's not something GOP leaders can ignore or wish away. Yeah. Uh, not long ago, the head of the Colorado GOP party asked Peters to suspend her race for secretary of state. Because she's been indicted. And here she is on the ballot. I talked to one of those delegates who's a big fan of Tina Peters. Her name is Gina Daly. She's a first-time delegate. She's from Douglas County. And she said the whole issue of election integrity is why she got involved in Republican politics. She supports Peters, and she wants others like her to get elected. We're, this is like grassroots. You start at the bottom, and it builds all the way up. And if we're going to make a change and reel people in, 
get rid of the rhinos and put the people that we need in there. We've got to have this kind of outcome for voting, getting people in at the, at the bottom and bringing them all the way through. Tina Peters is very much a face of that distrust of public elections, but it's run so deep in the party that you actually saw extreme mistrust and, and like a revolt among the delegates about how the GOP was running the elections at its own assembly. It was the first thing we heard that day. There was a motion to have the delegates vote on paper ballots, which the party didn't have. Yeah, they were using these electronic clickers instead. So after multiple motions and votes and stuff, that eventually failed. Some people were still upset that they weren't voting on paper. Yeah, I heard that from delegates. And then you heard it to an extent afterward when gubernatorial candidate Danielle Neuschwanger, who had narrowly missed the ballot, confronted state chairwoman Christy Burton Brown. Christy, I'm going to see you in court because you're not listening. Votes did not count today. And they attempted to tell you that the system was fraudulent. And you negated their voice when they attempted to bring it to you. You know what? Time is of the essence. It's ridiculous. So you know what? I'm going to see you in court and I'm going to make sure if you committed any fraud that you are behind bars. You have a wonderful day. I'll say that Christy Burton Brown did get control of the assembly. She convinced a strong majority of delegates not to go with the whole idea of using paper ballots, which would have been a crazy mess. But that's going to stick around. Like This is what Donald Trump sowed and what the party is now reaping is doubts even about their own internal elections. This whole situation is tough for a lot of Republicans who see a real opportunity this midterm to make significant gains in the state for the first time in a lot of cycles. And if the party chooses candidates like Hanks, like Peters, who try to sell this message that the 2020 election was stolen, some strategists and Republicans think, look, we're basically then handing the election to Democrats. Um, I spoke with Wayne Williams. He's on the Colorado Springs City Council, and he's a former secretary of state. I did not believe trying to convince the 56% of the state who voted for Joe Biden that they didn't vote for him, it being a viable strategy. I do think it's a viable strategy to say, you made a mistake, let's rectify that mistake. Williams encapsulates what we hear from a lot of other Republicans, that they really want to focus on other issues beyond the 2020 election, issues that they think can appeal to a much broader swath of the electorate. And To recap, that's a choice that voters have in each of these races that we've talked about. Senator, governor, secretary of state. There's a candidate who is not pushing the election fraud story. And there's a candidate who really is. So these primaries will come down to who votes. Who will the electorate be? Will it be mostly the grassroots side, the far right folks who come out and choose who the general election candidate will be? Or will there be a lot of unaffiliated voters who come into the Republican primary who don't believe in this stuff? and who pushed the party to choose a more moderate candidate. So some final thoughts here. We've talked a lot about these candidates, their supporters. What final big takeaways do you have leaving the assembly? Well, I talked to probably a dozen delegates or so, and I was expecting to hear more about inflation, more about sleepy Joe Biden, more about traditional election year stuff. And what I heard much more often was that the greatest motivators were fears about change, fears about what the left was supposedly doing to culture, doing to gender, doing to elections. It was a a, a very culturally reactionary message to fears. 
And it wasn't the economy, it wasn't Reaganomics. It was issues about transgender people and abortion and stolen elections. I, and, and what was really striking to me was how, how remarkable it was, really, that how little the Republican delegates were talking about the top issues Republican leaders in the state want to focus on. Schools, affordability, crime. Not that I think those are things a lot of the electorate aren't focused on, but... Mm-hmm. This is a very small group of the Republican Party. I mean, it's a little bit less than 4,000 delegates. So we can't necessarily extrapolate really broadly here. But that's why the June 28th primary will just be so fascinating because we do have these stark contrasts in different candidates. Yeah. I mean, like you're saying, really small, really small sample size. But these are the issues that are motivating them. And these are the issues that are strongly shaping what candidates make the ballot. And so we'll we'll definitely be watching to see if this small part of the electorate has tapped into something that's more widespread among other Republicans and unaffiliated voters or not. And I think we'll have these clear choices June 28th. Yeah, it would be kind of interesting if all these candidates just get smacked down on the actual primary day and then all this hubbub turns out to have been for not much. Although it still is going to impact the general election, depending upon how the primary race goes, how much money is spent mm-hmm. in, in those races, will definitely impact November. Yeah, these are going to be some hotly contested primaries with very different candidates. That's it for this episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague, Benta Berkland. Purplish is edited by Megan Verlee and produced by Shane Rumsey. You can email us at purplish at CPR.org. The show will be back in your podcast feed soon, so if you're not already following, be sure to sign up to make sure you don't miss it. This is Purplish from CPR News.